0: I'm Asahi Pompei, Global Head of Corporate Engagement and President of the Goldman Sachs Foundation. I'm excited that today's episode of Undistracted is brought to you by Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses, which helps entrepreneurs create jobs and economic opportunity by providing access to education, capital, and business support services. Later in the episode, you'll hear from one of our program graduates and learn more about their business and experiences. To learn more or apply to Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses, visit gs.com slash 10ksb.
1: Hey, y'all. It's Brittany. I am fresh back from a much-needed international vacation where I surprisingly only FaceTimed home like five times a day to see the baby instead of my expected eight to (laughs) ten. But perhaps unsurprisingly, I came back to an America that feels even more toxic than the one I left. So let me just see if I'm caught up on all I missed. Uh, Sitting members of Congress are bragging about being Christian nationalists. A record-breaking heat wave is putting houseless people and jailed populations at particular risk. And the CDC and a bunch of newspapers are giving monkeypox a scarily homophobic framing that is basically putting us all in danger. Yeah, Did did I get it all? Look, as tempting as it was to figure out how to just stay on vacation, home was calling. And not just because my mom guilt was creeping way too high, but because the enemies of democracy would love for us to just give up. You don't have to fight your opposition when you can just exhaust them, but uh uh-uh. Not me, not you, not us. Rest up and then get back in the fight. We are undistracted. The show today, Voto Latino's Maria Teresa Kumar on how we can take back our democracy and create a more just
2: electoral system. Our job is not to tap out, because that's what they want, right? The system works for the people who occupy it. That's coming up, but first, it's the news.
1: Right now, every state is an abortion battleground with the recent Supreme Court decision to overtone Roe versus Wade. But I wanna zoom in on one particularly important state. Today I want to talk about Kansas. You know, the place Dorothy said was home. On August 2nd, that's next Tuesday, people in Kansas will vote on a state constitutional amendment that would make it easier to ban abortion. And that's noteworthy because Kansas's constitution, according to the state Supreme Court, currently actually ensures a right to an abortion. And Kansas is currently the best option for abortion care for many folks who live in nearby states with bans like Texas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. So if this amendment were to pass, Kansas could ban abortion, creating an even wider abortion desert in the middle of the country, y'all. Now, the amendment has a tricky name. On purpose, of course. It's being called the, quote, value them both amendment. But a no vote on this amendment is what's going to protect our rights. And right now, polling on it is close. Kansas is the first state in the nation
3: to
0: vote on the issue, and according to the coefficient poll shared with 538, 47% of Kansas voters plan to vote yes on the ballot measure, While 43% plan to vote no and 10% are undecided.
1: We're going to keep our eyes close on Kansas next week as they decide the fate of their constitution. And if y'all know any people in Kansas, have any family in Kansas, hell, you used to date somebody who lives in Kansas, call them up and make sure they vote no. Because we know for a fact that you can't value them both when you're stripping the pregnant person of their bodily autonomy. Like music, dance, and pretty much every other facet of American culture, so much of the way we talk has its roots in Black and Black queer language trends. There are words that have taken over Twitter in the last decade, like woke, shade, tea. There's the language that startups have glommed onto, like side hustle and grind. And then there are older words, like hip and cool, which a lot of folks don't even realize have Black origins. And no, I'm here to tell you, this is not just... Gen Z language, it's Black. It's either African-American vernacular English, also called Ebonics, or it's the slang our people have created. And it's really miraculous to see the power Black expression has in pop culture, but hello, some credit would be nice, right? Well, now folks are gonna be able to cite their sources. Literally, a new dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary of African-American English, will document the way Black people have shaped our speech patterns for generations. It's a project of Harvard and the Oxford University Press, which of course publishes the granddaddy of all dictionaries, the Oxford English Dictionary, the OG. My friend, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. will be the project's editor. And unlike any old dictionary, this one will include both the words and the real people who popularize them. It's the historical record we deserve. The first version won't be available for 3 years, but the Oxford English Dictionary took 3 decades to publish. So, 3 years to begin to capture the complexity and richness of Black language seems fair. Dead ass. And now, on to one of the more shameful aspects of American life. A new investigation from the Arizona Republic and KJZZ shows just how dependent many communities in Arizona are on prison labor. Nearly 100 cities, towns, and agencies employ incarcerated people to do jobs that range from maintaining golf courses to trimming the roses. And it amounts, according to at least one prison official, and me, (laughs) to slavery. In testimony to an Arizona budget committee, a corrections officer, David Shin, summed it up this way.
3: If you were to remove these folks from that equation, things would collapse in many of your counties for your constituents.
1: Meaning that some of these public entities can't afford to operate without slavery. When slavery was outlawed at the end of the Civil War by the 13th Amendment, it had one terrible exception, slavery as a punishment for crime. And since our country has the most prisoners out of anywhere in the world, a huge population of incarcerated people translates into an incredibly cheap labor pool. The pay for these jobs can be less than $1 an hour, and for perspective, the average price of a 15-minute phone call from prison is more than $5. Five days of work for a 15-minute phone call. And while Arizona is in the hot seat right now, it is a national problem. Incarceration and our economy are deeply entwined. Private prisons profit from state funding for so-called correctional services, and many products that boast a Made in the USA label are made by incarcerated people. And don't get me started on how not being able to make bail can cost you your job, your home, your car, and more, all before you've even been to trial. Miriam Kaba writes this in We Do Us Till We Free Us, an absolute must read. She says, it's time to look hard at how this system came to be, who profits, how it functions, and why. And it's time to imagine what it would look like to see justice done without relying on punishment and the barbarity of carceral systems. Coming up, producer Treasure Brooks talks to Maria Teresa Kumar about who really loses when we don't vote, right after this short break.
0: Hi there. My name is Sarah Matson miller and I'm one of the founding partners of 1820 Productions, a full-service global media company that creates commercials, develops digital video content, and spearheads television shows. As a diverse company, one of the biggest challenges we faced is not being given the opportunity to bid on projects. It boggles my mind to hear advertising agencies still say, we're having difficulty finding diverse production companies. I feel like screaming, we're right here. We're good at what we do, and we're ready. I'm proud to say that since our inception, we've won multiple Emmy Awards and produced hours of content for networks such as BET. Being a part of Goldman Sachs' 10,000 Small Businesses has been integral to this success. I always say it's pretty much the equivalent of receiving a free executive MBA in four months. Not only does 10,000 Small Businesses help reinforce what you're doing right, but it also connects you with an amazing network of like-minded entrepreneurs. To learn more about 1820 Productions, please visit 1820productions.com. To apply for Goldman Sachs' 10,000 small businesses, visit gs.com backslash 10ksb.
1: And we are back. Our guest today is Maria Teresa Kumar. She's the president and CEO of Voto Latino, an organization that works to get Latinx folks more involved in voting. Maria Teresa sat down with our producer, Treasure Brooks, to talk about something, you know, super light and breezy, just the state of our democracy. We wanted to really get a look at the big picture. Why are we losing access to abortion, even though the majority of Americans supported Roe versus Wade? Why can't we get stronger gun regulation through Congress when it's incredibly popular? So we started by asking how we got to this point, where our supposedly democratic system
2: is so blatantly failing to represent the will of the majority of people. People like to say that the system is rigged, and I often like to say actually the system works for those people who are elected. And it wasn't until probably we saw President Obama came into power, people really participating, they changed the rules on us because we did participate. Hmm. And we saw a major gutting of the Voting Rights Act by the Supreme Court. It was almost surgical. Hmm. So in 2010, we saw the biggest growth came from the Latino community. Over 50% of America's population growth came from American-born Latinos. That growth was not in California or New York or Chicago or Florida. It was in ruby-red states. And who controls the state legislators disproportionately because of gerrymandering? The Republican Party. That is where a lot of the laws are happening right now, restrictions, just access to voting, and we need to figure out how do we continuously participate. Uh, What gives me hope is that in 2018, young voters came out in record number. And for the very first time in American history, the very first time in our 240-plus years of American history, we had a U.S. Congress that looked closer to America We had the most young people elected, the most LGBTQ, the most Muslim Americans, the most Native Americans, the most African Americans, the most Latino, even the most veterans. And it was one of the youngest that we've seen in 240 years, except we have two people right now stalling our business, and that would be Mansion and Cinema.
3: So even with voter registration increasing in some of these demographics, many would argue that we have a political system where majorities don't actually rule. Mm -hmm. I mean, two of the last four presidents lost the popular vote. And then in the Senate, as you have mentioned, a single person can stop popular legislation from advancing. Is minority rule becoming a greater
2: problem or have we just become more aware of it in recent years? It's becoming a greater problem in the sense that they are putting up more obstacles to our vote. The best example I have right now is Texas. In Texas, in 2018, Texas went from a dead last voting state to ranking 42. And that's Mm -hmm. because young people came out in record number, young Latinos, young African-Americans came out, and... The state legislator not only they certified a fair free election saying that all the votes were you know were fair, that it, there was no fraud, none of it. And instead of celebrating this idea that there's a young awakening among young Texans, a multicultural Texas, mm-hmm. the state legislator started putting up barriers. One of them, we're so Voto Latino is actively suing in that in Texas. We have three lawsuits wow. in the Texas courts. And everybody and this should be a grievance for every single American, regardless of political stripes. Because instead of celebrating the fact that young people in Texas exercised their right to vote and participated. They decided to create a no-man's land, so to speak, for a young voter. Mm. One of the pieces of legislation that we are, that we're fighting actively in court, Greg Abbott codified a law saying that you can't register at a temporary address and you can't register in your home address. Mm. That means that if you're a college student living in the dorms, that's a temporary address. And I don't know how a lot of your listeners registered to vote, but I registered on my college campus mm-hmm. with my home address. And so if you're a young person, they recognize that you more than likely believe in climate change. You believe in agency over your body and that of your friends. You believe that you should be able to marry whoever you choose. You believe in in police reform, and you believe in gun reform. And this scares The hell out of them. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we need to recognize is that there are obstacles being put in place by design. There are legislative efforts to change them. And there are also efforts at the courthouse to change them. But fundamentally, what we're going to need to do is outvote them to the best of our ability in the next two elections. And I say this because since 2020, we're expecting 6 million more young voters to come of age in the United States. And disproportionately, they're in the ruby red states where they're trying to make sure that our vote does not count.
3: Mm. So this legislation coming out of Texas is really interesting um, because it kind of complicates what we generally think voter suppression could look like, Mm -hmm. like poll sites being closed because there's not enough staff or confusing ID requirements. But what are the other ways in which voter suppression can manifest that we may not be thinking of?
2: Basically, the one in Texas is for me the most gregarious, right? You all of a sudden can't vote on your college campus. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, and, and it's done on purpose because, again, the values of, of a generation is so different from the people who are right now commandeering our country. There is almost a two generation divide between millennials and Generation Z. And the people who are governing. Mm. And to give you an example, I've been doing some reporting around Ukraine because I've been fascinated by the parliamentarians. The average age of someone in Ukraine that is holding office in their highest office is forty-seven years old. Wow. Their youngest parliamentarian, the youngest elected to their equivalent of our our Congress, is twenty-three. Wow. Yes. Isn't that exciting? And that's why they're so savvy on communications and how and using social media. And for us in the United States, it's closer to 67 looking at both houses. But if we're looking at the Senate, it's closer to 71. Mm. And if you have the majority of Americans right now under the age of 25 and you don't have a governor in a government at the local level and at a national level that reflects your values, you can imagine why policy is so awry. I mean, and I think this is you know, what you're getting at. It's not just important to register and to vote, but we really need to figure out how do we upend this by running for office mm. and encouraging people to run for office. And people talk about the squad. The squad is closer aligned to the values of millennials and a Generation Z than they are to their colleagues in Congress right now. and. The notion of being able to have legislative bodies that really reflect a young, thriving democracy versus a democracy right now that feels a little staid and old and backwards and trying to legislate you know, ideals that we already fought for in the 1960s of the last century, the only way to shake that up is by increasingly demanding a seat at the table that is diverse and that is young.
3: I wonder how we can get young people to be more enthusiastic about running for office when so many are are already pretty disappointed in just the voting process as it stands now. You know, people who are unable to vote because of restrictions are rightfully frustrated, Mm -hmm. but we also see that people who have managed to vote are just as frustrated with the outcomes. Part of the problem, as you've mentioned, is gerrymandering, and that's a word that sometimes puts people to sleep. But it's a huge (laughs) reason that you can have these extreme anti-abortion laws being passed, Mm -hmm. for instance, in states where the majority of people are Mm pro-choice. Can you give us a super quick primer on what gerrymandering is and what we're going to do
2: about it? So gerrymandering basically clusters a group of people together based disproportionately on race and packs the districts into and the congressional districts and the congressional districts are the ones that go on to congress right and so they do it on purpose because it is one is it came out of of this this idea that if you actually have representative government e- even in your districts then you're going to have competitive fights when it comes to mm-hmm. who's going to be your elected member right By packing in people of color disproportionately, what you do is you diminish the power. I hate to go back to Texas, but I'm going to go back to Texas. Uh, Texas, Texas. I would say, is the last stand of minority rule. And that is why they're doing all of these cockamamie policies. (laughs) So in the last 10 years in the census, Texas technically gained two congressional seats because of Latinos, and because African-Americans population boom. They increased their population by 4 million people, and 92% of it was because of Latinos, and the other million was because of the African-American population. As a result, by law, by the Constitution, African-Americans, Latinos have a right to two of those congressional districts Mm -hmm. by law. What the Republicans did on the state side is that they redrew the districts in a non-continuous form. And so normally, you know, you see a map and you're like, okay, this is where the population is, and so you basically draw it out this way, right? What the Republicans did is like, oh, let's pack in all conservative whites into a district, and let's see what Mm -hmm. that looks like. And it's literally like this. (laughs) <laughs> and you can't see my finger because you're on a podcast, but it's like, imagine you asking your kid, what does an amoeba look like? And they stretch that mm. amoeba out from side to side. And that's what they did. And so what's bananas is that the two districts that should have gone to communities of color went to white conservative districts. Mm. And that is part of gerrymandering. It's who's controlling the maps and how do you actually pack people in to lessen their political power. And when it comes to gerrymandering, not only does it you know, diminish your political power, it also takes away the resources from the federal government mm. that should come to your communities for schools, for healthcare, for roads. So it's a huge problem. So gerrymandering is
3: obviously one of those things that's undermining the integrity of these systems. But what about when it all does work out? At the level of Congress, when lawmakers who are pro choice who are pro-gun reform and pro-climate action are in these seats, but change still doesn't happen, mm-hmm. what do you say to someone who's starting to feel like voting doesn't really matter?
2: Our challenge now is in the Senate where the margins are too small. And you have two senators, Senator Manchin, and Senator Sinema, that they, they claim that they don't want to reform the filibuster for the integrity of the congress what they are failing to be fully transparent is that the filibuster itself it is not codified in any way it is a practice Mm -hmm. it's more the trappings of the senate than something that is actually codified into law so they're making that up is the best way i can you know they're basically they're gaslighting us Mm -hmm. uh and so one of the challenges right now is where can we find more senators that are aligned and i have to say Of the senators right now that are in the position to flip uh, the Senate and make it more of a Democratic cushion, Fetterman coming out of Pennsylvania is speaking truth. Mm. First of all, he has the best online game that I've seen in a long time. It's really brilliant. (laughs) But he is someone that believes in— Things that shouldn't be modern, but all of a sudden seem modern, you know, progressive. Like he believes in abortion. He believes the climate is mm-hmm. on fire. Like he he believes in in things that are very much of the 21st century. And God bless him. And he and he has a shot at actually winning. And then the other person that is, I think, really really strong too. And this is where we need North Carolina to really participate. Is Beasley? He, she really has a shot. She's African American, aligned with our values, and again has a shot. She's a coin toss. She's not supposed to be a coin toss, but. But again, she's speaking to what the majority of Americans, modern-day Americans, really believe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other pickup that we have a possibility of is against J.D. Vance in Ohio, Tim Ryan, who has been a longtime congressman and who's more of a moderate, but at the same time believes in fair wages and agency of women and stuff like that. Mm So I guess modern by our our current trappings. Oh, God. But we are right now, I would say, in the eye of the storm in American politics. And we are trying to determine, are we going to be more of a minority rule like apartheid South Africa? Mm. Or are we going to be a country that continues to lead in the 21st century with everyone abiding by democratic norms and by equal participation? And that's going to take work because of the legacy of what we're inheriting from our past. But there's also this understanding that there's literally more of us and more Mm. of us are coming of age every single day, that we need to figure out in the short term, how do we participate? And how do we make change? And I know that people right now are tired and saying, well, I don't see the change fast enough. After a pandemic, after four years of Donald Trump, who was trying to undermine every single institution at his disposal, it's rightfully so to feel that way. Mm. But I also believe that we have an economy that's getting back on track. We have kids in school, we have shots and arms, and we may not be enamored with the person right now that is leading the country, but at least we can understand that it is coming at a time where a lot of things have been broken. Mm-hmm. And putting it back together is not easy, but our job is not to tap out because that's what they want, right? Mm-hmm. The system works for the people who occupy it. And if we tap out, if we think that our rights right now are restricted— We haven't tasted restriction yet, Mm. and I think that is what is, to me, gets me up in the morning, this idea that my kids will have less rights than I did.
3: Okay, so while we're talking elections, we've got midterms coming up this fall, and it kind of feels like every time you go on social media, there's the most important election of our lifetime (laughs) right around the corner, and people are exhausted by
2: this rhetoric, Help us understand why people should believe it this time around. I've been doing this for a long time, and whether we like it as a generation or not, we are in the fight of our lifetime for the soul of this country, for Mm. a generation to come. And it all has to do with the rise of a multicultural America. And I say this because we are facing modern Jim Crow laws because of a multicultural America that is rising. I give you an example. My kids are 10 and 8. Mm. My daughter is entering fifth grade. She is at the forefront of what we call an alpha generation. So Generation Z is already aged out, but alpha generation. That alpha generation is a minority-majority country. Mm. And if you were to look at our leadership, whether we're looking at those people that are elected in office or academia or – you know, Wall Street or Silicon Valley or Hollywood, none of what my child represents and her class represents of a majority minority, none of that leadership of the establishment and institutions reflect that power, that emerging power. Mm. And when we talk about, you know, why is this election the one of our lifetime? I know that it is, it sounds trite, but we kind of already know what a Republican-led House of Representatives will do Mm. if a Democrat wins the White House in 2024. They already told us. Yeah. (laughs) They will steal the election. Mm -hmm. They're okay undermining our democracy if it's women and people of color participating at the polls. Mm -hmm. This growing coalition of black, brown, indigenous a modern America in the future, that really scares them. They want us to shut down because if we shut down, then they get all the marbles.
3: You've mentioned a couple of candidates that you're really excited about, Fetterman in Pennsylvania and Beasley in North Carolina. What other races do you think are going to be
2: most critical going into the fall? If you're in Texas, vote. (laughs) Texas has this... When I tell you that Texas is the holy grail of the progressive movement and it's their last stand... Mm. So... Texas is purple. And you had, in the last election, you had roughly 7 million unregistered Texans. Whew. Five million of them are brown and black. Five million who set it out. And in Texas, we're expecting close to a half a million new young voters since the last election. Wow. If we can get an additional two to 300,000 of the five million to register and to vote, Texas goes blue. Mm. Better work right now is out Greg Abbott. And our charge is to increase that electoral base so that the voters of Texas can speak for themselves. And when people say, well, Texas is is red, it's not. We just did a study at Voto Latino. We found that on abortion, across generations in the Latino community, 68% supported abortion care and 81% supported background checks and gun reform. So that's not your parents' Texas, right? This is a modern Texas that is being suppressed And we're allowing it to happen in many ways because we're not participating. But imagine Mm -hmm. the incredible opportunity if all of a sudden Beto O'Rourke became governor of Texas. He'd be charged with the congressional maps, and then the MAGA Republicans would have a really hard time holding on to power anywhere else. Well, I'm hopeful now.
3: I want to talk about another issue that has big ramifications for our democracy, which is misinformation, Hmm. the fancy name for lies. Yep. Talk about how Americans are exposed to misinformation and the degree to which you're concerned about it in the midterm
2: elections. So at Volta Latino, we do two things, principally all in the service of democracy. One is getting you to know your rights to register to participate. And more recently, we opened up the Latino Anti-Disinformation Lab, Mm. because the whole point of misinformation and disinformation is for you to not trust institutions, not trust authority in a way that is helpful. And what I mean by that in this case is don't trust science. My mother, it took me almost two months to convince her to get the COVID vaccine. Mm. Because of the disinformation she was receiving. Wow. Right? My mother is 71 years old. She works in the healthcare industry. And this idea that she was not gonna get a COVID vaccine because of what her neighbors were peddling to her through, you know, through WhatsApp and all of it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the immigrant communities are the canaries in the coal mine. Once the nefarious actors realize what works really well in the immigrant families, they translate it into English and it goes incredibly viral. And that's really spooky.
3: Where do we put the onus, though? Um, What could big tech companies be doing to reduce the amount of misinformation?
2: Care. (laughs) Uh, They could care. I will share with you. you People say, well, what are the origins of disinformation? We have been tracking disinformation that comes from the extreme right, but also from foreign actors coming from Russia and China. And it makes me wonder, why do foreign actors want to make us sick? Why do foreign mm. actors want us to be divided around race? Why? They recognize that as Americans, a multicultural America is our superhero strength. Mm. And it allows us to compete at home and abroad and continue to be leaders on the world stage. But if they have recognized that our division in our Achilles heel, our kryptonite, is racism, that's what they start feeding us. The Russians were responsible for putting up events under the guise of Black Lives Matter, anti-immigrant rallies and immigrant rallies all in the same city in 2016. Wow, There are receipts for that. And so we should really, you know, when we consume information, we should really think critically of, why are they targeting me? Does this even make sense? And how can I find out more, right? And social platforms have to be better regulated but by a Congress who understands what social media is, mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the challenge is that you have, again, back to generational divide. You have a lot of older senators who have no idea. I mean, they still refer to the to the internet as the pipes, right? So just like, mm-hmm. But it is I do think that is it is a lack of will and a lack of consequences that they continue to do the same thing over and over again.
3: We keep hearing that democracy is under attack, both both internally and because of foreign powers. What issue would you say is top
2: priority right now for
3: protecting democracy? Two
2: things. One is we have to pass the Voting Rights Act Mm. that allows us to codify, once again, the Voting Rights Act of 1963, John Lewis's Act, and Mm. modernize ourselves. The other is that we need to look at the courts and the Supreme Court principally, either expanding the court to make it more balanced— looking at time limits, so you could only be on the court not as a lifetime appointment, but perhaps 15, 20 years, and making sure that it goes in between administrations so that it is not always stacked Mm. with the president. But this is something I learned that I had no idea, that no one's talking about. It turns out that Congress can also limit the court cases and the jurisdictions of courts, Mm. of the court itself. And so right now the court has opportunity to listen to all cases coming from the state levels. But something that I'm learning is that Congress itself can actually limit if it only listens to federal cases. Mm. And right now, the cases that the court is judging on that we don't like, around guns, for example, around abortion, all come from state appellate courts. So it's interesting to see that there are boundaries. But I would say if we were to make two changes, one is the John Lewis Act, pass it as soon as possible. And then the other one is how do we actually modernize the courts for the 21st century as well?
3: Maria Tracy, you've been so helpful in helping us to understand how we arrived at this current political juncture. And that's huge, considering how confused and helpless so many of us feel right now.
2: So I know that folks are feeling helpless, but I have to tell you that as we leave is that that's by design. Mm -hmm. People want us to feel helpless, like nothing has changed because they're afraid of what happens when we do participate, when we participate at our local levels we see change even faster. And I know it's work, and I know it's complicated, but if we have individuals at the state level and at the local level that represents us and may perhaps even listeners decide to run, then you change the system. Mm-hmm. And you take away those barriers. But I do think that as we look into the 21st century, we do have to start asking ourselves what democracy that we want to live in, and are we ancestoring for the people that are already in kindergarten right now that are disproportionately... Communities of color. If we tap out, they're not going to forgive us. Ooh. Well,
3: it is work, as you said, but thanks to what you do, the work is a lot easier for us. So I so appreciate all of your work with Voto Latino and for coming on to the show today. Thank you
2: so much for your time. This is fun.
1: Rhea Teresa-Kumar is the president and CEO of Vote the Latino, and you can get to work registering people to vote by visiting VoterPal.org. Listen, y'all, we got him shook. That's what I have to keep reminding myself of every time another piece of dystopian fascist news hits my phone. I said it before and I'll say it again. You only push back this hard when you know how strong the opposition is. The GOP very clearly saw how powerful our coalition was in 2018 in Texas and in 2020 in Georgia in so many places. We defied the odds and the expectations. But here's the thing. Now is not the time to stop shaking shit up. It is not enough to know we did it before if we don't do it again and again and again. It's not enough to keep joking, we did it, Joe, if we can't elect an unimpeachably democratic Congress that gets the things done that we really need. It's not enough to reminisce about the years gone by and how we had them shook if we don't keep them shook and take their power. Our lives are on the line. And that's not a party message, that's a people message. There is no hope in giving up. And I don't just mean at the ballot box, I mean in the streets, the city council meetings, the school board hearings, and the mutual aid work. I mean in defeating the opposition and holding your favorite party accountable. We must occupy every single place where decisions are made for and about us. Democracy will never breathe the breath of life without us. Hey, that's it for today, but never for tomorrow. Undistracted is a production of The Meteor and Pineapple Street Studios. Our lead producer is Rachel Ward. Our associate producers are Alexis Moore and Mary Alexa Cavanaugh. Thanks also to Treasure Brooks, Hannis Brown, Davy Sumner, and Miraj Makija. Our executive producers at The Meteor are Cindy Levy and myself, and our executive producers at Pineapple are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. You can follow me, at Miss Peck on all social media and our incredible team at The Meteor. Subscribe to Undistracted and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and most places you check out your favorite shows. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being. And thanks most of all for doing. I'm Brittany Peck at Cunningham. Let's go get free.